uncertainty. Highly uncertain is actually what they're saying now. You'd think if the economy is doing as well as it's being advertised, there wouldn't be such a high degree of uncertainty, high uncertainty. After all, if the U.S. is heading to a soft landing, as the Federal Reserve now believes, ditching its recession forecast, or in Europe, the economy there getting out of its shallow recession and moving gradually toward a recovery this year and next year, there wouldn't be as much uncertainty. But yet, that's all they're talking about, which is an important indication of where things actually stand. To give you an example, we'll begin with Europe. Europe today, the ECB voted to hike rates again to continue its quantitative tightening, passive QT, running uh, assets off the balance sheet. And they're doing so because they still believe they have an inflation problem. Things are progressing, but developments since the last meeting support the expectation that inflation will drop further over the remainder of the year, but will stay above the target for an extended period of time. While some measures show signs of easing, underlying inflation remains high overall. That's the kind of rhetoric that we continue to get from officials and central bankers and economists too. Yes, things are improving, but there's all these other things we have to consider too. And it's that way, not just on their inflation problem, but also their view of the economy. Here again, let's go back to Christine Lagarde earlier today. The near-term economic outlook for the euro area has deteriorated. Owing largely to weaker domestic demand, services remain more resilient, especially in contact-intensive subsectors such as tourism, but momentum is slowing in the services sector. The economy is expected to remain weak in the short run. So we've got inflation that's improving. The economy seems to be weak. But we also have labor data that suggests, along with incomes, maybe like service spending, the economy isn't all that bad. And if it isn't all that bad, maybe we're going to have more of an inflation problem. They can't make up their mind. We see lots of weakness, but we also see lots of strength. It's almost like a bipolar analysis. So what do we make? What is it when, when Europe talks about the economy is expected to remain weak in the short run? What does that actually mean, especially in the context of U.S. GDP that we just got today, what does that say? The Fed ditching the recession forecast, sing, seemingly blowing in the, and twisting in the wind, wherever the winds take it, uh, whether it's banking crisis, credit crunch, or whatnot. What do we? What is highly uncertain actually look like in today's economy? But first, I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. If you're interested, Eurodollar University memberships available, including our anniversary bundles and packages that will be unveiled very soon, next couple days actually. Uh, memberships are exclusive video content on the Eurodollar system, what it is, what it means, what it's supposed to do, why it isn't doing what it's supposed to do. We also have research subscriptions which go into the similar topics, uh, daily briefing, I contribute to Markets Insider Pro, as well as a deep dive analysis. That's at the Eurodollar University website, where we go much further, much deeper, diving into all the topics of money and macro today, tomorrow. All the information available for you at eurodollar.university. ECB rate hikes, just like the Fed rate hikes, no surprises there. And they're hiking rates because, well, because they're not really sure what to do here. 
they, again, as I said in the opening, they see the weakness, they see the economy, they see all these warning signs, including credit and banking and lending, but at the same time, consumer price numbers, they haven't come down nearly as much. And so there's high uncertainty about what to do and what to think. Continue with Christine Lagarde earlier. She said the outlook for economic growth and inflation remains highly uncertain. Downside risks to growth include Russia's unjustified war against Ukraine, her words, and an increase in broader geopolitical tensions, which could fragment global trade and thus weigh on the euro area economy. Growth could also be slower if the effects of monetary policy are more forceful than expected, which is just a catch-all for weakness, or if the world economy weakens and thereby dampens demand for euro area exports. The global trade recession, we see it. We in Europe are experiencing it maybe more than anyone outside of Asia. Global trade has been highly depressed and it has caused an enormous amount of weakness that even the ECB can see. But on the other side, conversely, growth could be higher than projected if the strong labor market, rising real incomes and receding uncertainty, I laugh at that part. She says it's highly uncertain, but now talks about receding uncertainty. If receding uncertainty mean that people and businesses become more confident and spend more, what she's really saying is that if this positive scenario, the one that is attached to the labor market incomes, if that turns out to be the correct scenario, the correct interpretation of the situation, then uncertainty will recede and the economic outcomes will be much, much more favorable. Whereas on the other side, if we continue to get a credit crunch, if we continue to get worse in terms of the global trade recession, then she doesn't want to say the recession will get worse, but that's the implication here. That either way, in her mind, inflation or consumer prices are going to get better, but that doesn't tell us what we want to know about the real economy. It doesn't tell them about what they want to know about the real economy too, which is why they keep talking about a high level of uncertainty. Now, yesterday at the Federal Reserve meeting, Jay Powell did something similar. In fact, pretty much the same thing. As I mentioned before, the Federal Reserve staff, their projection had been a mild recession in the second half of the year. In their previous view, likely beginning somewhere around the fourth quarter and extending into the first quarter of next year. Now they think, given all recent data, given a lot of incoming statistics, especially GDP we got today, Maybe we won't even have a recession. And Jay Powell said, you know what? I didn't believe in the recession anyway. Although we have to be careful. Like Lagarde, there was an incredible number of buts. And here's, here's what he said at his press conference. So it has been my view consistently that we do have a shot. And my base case is that we will be able to achieve inflation moving back down to our target without the kind of really significant downturn that results in high levels of job losses that we've seen some past instances, many past instances of tightening that look like ours. That's, my, that's been my view. That's still my view. And I think, you know, that's sort of consistent with what I see today. So like, unlike Lagarde, Powell's sounding more optimistic and saying, I see the positive aspects. But he also said, it's a long way from assured. And you know, we have a lot left to go to see that happen. So the staff now has a noticeable slowdown in growth starting later this year in the forecast. But given the resilience of the economy recently, they are no longer forecasting recession. So again, we can see the weakness. 
I'm just choosing to bet on the labor market data, which history has shown is a wrong bet. And the Fed, like the ECB, knows it. They're merely hoping that this time will be different when, get like the yield curve inversion, this time is never different. And speaking of inversion, let's talk about where the markets are, uh, something called the near-term forward spread. We, we don't want to, we, we think the uh, labor market data is going to keep, is, is, is representing an economy that's going to stay out of recession, but we can see a whole bunch of stuff, including banking and credit, as I talked about yesterday. We can see a whole bunch of stuff that might take things quickly in the other direction. And among those is the near term forward spread, which is the part of the yield curve, not really part of the yield curve, but it's derived from the yield curve, the part that which, the parts that, at least Powell has mentioned in the past, they pay attention to. Policymakers believe there is some information content in the near-term forward spread, at least they did before it inverted last November. I also want to give a, a huge thanks to a couple of researchers, including one at the Federal Reserve. I was contacted last time I talked about the near-term forward spread a couple months ago by one of these uh, researchers, a fellow by the name of Danny Soaks, who's an associate professor of economics at UNC Wilmington, who along with his co-author Anthony Dirks, who's, who's actually a principal economist in the Division of Monetary Affairs at the Federal Reserve, this pair of Enterprising researchers are responsible for maintaining the website neartermforwardspread.com, which has a calculation of the near-term forward spread going all the way back, a history going all the way back to 1961. And he he actually sent me an email, Mr. Soaks did, thanking me for every time we talk about the near-term forward spread, he sees a bump in traffic on the website, which makes me happy. Because what that means is the Eurodollar University community is doing what I want them to do, which is to take take the information that's available that maybe I can uncover that the that these researchers make available for us. And again, we thank you, thank them very much for it. And do your own work, play around with the information, come to your own conclusions, which is what we're really trying to do here. And what does the near-term forward spread say? Well, right now, according to the calculation from Mr. Soaks and Mr. Dirks, again, thank you guys for that. Uh, this is about a week ago. They say the three-month rate is 527. The forward rate is 420. So it's roughly inverted by 100 basis points. Remember what the near-term forward spread measures. It takes the current three-month three -month rate and assesses what the market believes or a probability of what the a high probability of what the market believes the three-month rate will be six quarters ahead or 18 months ahead. So a measure of the three-month rate today versus what the market thinks are probabilities of where the three-month rate will be uh, in the future, in the near-term future, near-term forward spread. That's what the name, that's what the name means. And right now, there's the near-term forward spread at roughly 100 basis points inverted. Well, that's not nearly as bad as it had been in May. And May 4th, just after First Republic had failed, the near-term forward spread was minus 209 basis points. So ridiculously inverted. In fact, inverted in a way we hadn't seen since the 1970s. So over the last couple months, almost three months since First Republic, the near-term forward spread has improved, as you would expect, because the the downturn in forward rates in April, in, really March, April, into the very first part of May up to First Republic that was about the urgency that related to the banking crisis as it was still unfolding in real time. Massive amounts of hedging, which depressed forward rates. So the market was, was reacting to the banking crisis as it was happening. And since it's been less urgent, 
the near-term forward spread has come back up to around minus 100 basis points. But minus 100 basis points is not good. Let's not make any mistake here. Let's not make any mistake in interpretation. Minus 100 basis points is where the spread was in early February before we went on that soft landing narrative uh, that began with the January payroll report. In fact, the near-term forward spread on March 8th was around minus 32 basis points. So as, as much improvement as it has been since early May, we're only getting back to where we were at the worst parts in January and February, which is the market saying we were really, really worried about the banking crisis in April, especially. So the point that we're thinking forward rates might go down a lot uh, in, in the near term future moving forward. But now we're just going back to where the banking crisis doesn't have the same level of urgency or nearly the same level of urgency. It's still there in the forward spread. But we're just that just brings us back to the same nasty recession scenario that we were at in January and February. So not really an improvement, nor really much re reduction in uncertainty, at least the uncertainty as central bankers would have you believe in the economy. In fact, the near-term forward spread is still forecasting a high probability that interest rates over the near term are going to be substantially lower than they are today, which is not the forecast that you get from the Federal Reserve, nor the one that you get from the ECB. They are saying we're uncertain, but we're uncertain in a more positive direction. We believe the economy has a pathway to the soft landing where the market still says, well, it isn't as ugly as when First Republic failed. We are still more certain that we're going to have a recession and worse than not. So uncertainty in, is, isn't so much about what's the economy doing or how it's unfolding. It's one side that the public sees from the Federal Reserve that went from, hey, we're going to have a recession to now, no, we're going to have a soft landing or the uncertainty according to the ECB, which is, yeah, we see all this weakness. We see why these rates are upside down and not reacting to QT. But have you seen the labor market data? That's really the uncertainty. It's the disagreement in opinions. It's a disagreement in analysis. And the market is reacting more toward the weak side, what, 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 what looks to be forward-looking indications, the global trade recession that's already at pretty serious depths, and forecasting a pathway to that getting worse, not the labor market data and everything getting better. And we can see that too, even in the latest GDP report for the United States, which everyone is calling hot, unexpectedly strong and resilient. The quarter over quarter rate was 2.39%. However, the nominal GDP only increased at a 4.7% quarter over quarter rate in the, the second quarter of 2023. 4.7, that's not good. That compared to 6.1% in the first quarter, 6.6% in the fourth quarter, and 8.5% in the second quarter of last year. So nominal spending has slowed, and nominal economic activity in nominal terms has slowed way down. That's the weakness that the, even the central bankers can see coming. The uncertainty is about where it stops. That's really what this is all about. It's about where does the slowdown stop? And the 
the Federal Reserve policymakers keep going back and forth. Well, banking crisis, oh, my, the slowdown's going to stop with the recession. The banking crisis recedes. Uh, labor market numbers look, the unemployment rate stays good, stays low. Now the uncertainty, oh, maybe the, the, the slowdown will stop short of recession. So the uncertainty about where the slowdown stops, it's not about the slowdown itself. And the market is still saying the near-term forward spread and all the inverted yield curves are saying it's going to slow down and continue to slow down. And the slowdown will not slow down. It is actually accelerating even now as we speak. The third quarter is not going to look anything like the second quarter. So again, thank you to our friends, Mr. Dirks, as well as Mr. Soaks for putting together near-term forward spread. If you're interested, the, again, the data for the near-term forward spread back to 1961 is at neartermforwardspread.com. And also, if you want to learn more about forward rates and how they fluctuate, how they've behaved in the highly uncertain times, highly uncertain times, check out this video I'm putting up on the screen here. We talked about this before, get a little bit more background detail. Thank you as always to our Eurodollar University members. I can't thank you enough, especially our one year anniversary. And until next time, everyone take care.